Atheist Nomads, Episode 61, Interview with Mike Oss. Atheist Nomads is proudly brought to you by Archway Hosting. Check out their low-price, full-featured hosting solutions at archwayhosting.com. That's A-R-C-H-W-A-Y hosting.com. We are the Atheist Nomads, bringing you history, science, politics, religion, and interviews with leaders in the atheist community. Not all those who wander are lost. Welcome to another episode of Atheist Nomads. This is episode number 61. This is our second episode in our new format with the news and interviews on different episodes. So the news will always be on the odd number episodes and the interviews on the even numbers. I am Dustin. Wesley is AWOL and uh, hopefully will uh, be joining us at some point. And uh, joining us is Mike Oss. Uh, Mike, Hit the, the national headlines right in between the Reason Rally and American Atheist Convention in 2012 when uh, he came out as an atheist on national TV. This is after 20 years as a pastor, and uh, since then he has uh, been working with the Houston Oasis down in Houston, Texas, a uh, free thought community that will well, definitely be interesting to hear about. Mike, welcome to Atheist Nomads. Thank you, Dustin. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So let's start off with your uh, your history. Uh, how did you, and let's go back far enough. How did you get into being a pastor? Oh, well, I had been, uh, you know, part of a family that had gone to church, you know, we were church going family had always been a part of my life. Um, I liked being a part of the church and, uh, uh, had always been active in the youth movement, you know, youth groups and, you know, uh, it was just part of my life, part part of my family's life. And, uh, ministry was respect career. And it was also seemed like a career that would fit my, um, interests. I liked, you know, I liked history. I liked philosophy. I liked studying languages. And, uh, you know, I also like working with people. So it just seemed like a career that would match my, um, you know, interests and abilities pretty well. So. And did you feel a call to the ministry or just it, or did it just interest you? It, it just, you know, it interests me. You know, you're, you're supposed to feel some kind of call. So I guess I, you know, um, yeah, I never heard a voice from God, you know, so never had that kind of a, a Moses call. Um, and, uh, yeah, I came out of a Lutheran tradition, which is a little more low key than maybe some yeah. of the evangelicals. So we tended to talk about the call and maybe more subtle terms, I suppose. But yeah, you were definitely supposed to feel a call. And I, you know, would have said I, I felt it at the time, but was, now, now I see it was probably something I wanted to feel. Right. And the, the low key, wasp approach uh like you'd find with lutherans would probably yeah. be uh, along the lines of that call is in the form of having an interest in it <laughs> anything yeah, yeah, more than that yeah. it would just be inappropriate yeah yeah, yeah right yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right and uh did you stay in with the uh with the lutherans your entire time in the ministry uh, no, last two years I was in ministry, I was part of a uh, kind of a progressive what we call an emerging church independent church uh deal uh, a little more on the you know more even more progressive and cutting edge, you know, I, uh, side of things. Okay, um, and that's and that was when I was leading that group that I um, came out on MSNBC. All right, so let's let's back up a bit more. So you went through college and then the seminary. Um, how did actually after college? I after college I went to Japan and taught English for four years uh, at a at hmm. a uh, college over there. Although I went under the auspices of the church. So I had a missionary visa. So I was a missionary slash English teacher for four years in Japan. 
and then came back and went to seminary after that. Okay. And then went into parish ministry, you know. And how did that, that go for you? Did you enjoy it? Did it, was it? How the ministry? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of, yeah, a lot of parts of the job I really liked. I liked the public speaking side of it. Um, uh, yeah, I liked being able to help people through, you, you know, difficult life transitions. I found, you know, working with people, you know, like doing funerals, helping people walk through the end of life, that kind of stuff was really gratifying. Um, so the, there was, you know, weddings were always fun. There, there was a lot of it that felt pretty good, but, um, yeah, they're just, uh, Gradually, more and more, it just didn't add up. And, uh, you know, kind of on the theological dogmatic side of it. It was the human side of it that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much the other stuff, you know. And uh, when did you start having those those doubts? Well, you know, look back, I think it was just real, it was a very gradual thing with me. It started out probably when I would teach, um, you know, the obligatory midweek adult Bible study. And, uh, and like I said before, I, you know, I've always had a good time with, you know, getting into the original languages and historical context. And the more I got into the Bible, uh, just the more obvious problems I saw on so many levels, historic problems, uh, you, you know, the the contradictions, you name it. And um, that really started to, you know, pile up and add up o- over time. And I just never got any good answers. You know, stuff like, you know, there's not even, there's not a shred of archaeological evidence that, that the Exodus event ever happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. <laughs> Just started to wear on. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can definitely. And then relate. you know, in the middle of teaching adult Bible study, I would sometimes throw some of this stuff out there just to see if anybody would nibble. And you know, people were, yeah, you know, I think afraid to touch the Bible. And the, the other thing that became really obvious is that you know, um, Christians really don't, they don't even know the Bible. I mean, if you gave a biblical literacy test to most Christians in America, I mean, how many people would pass? I mean, like a basic biblical literacy test. And, um, you know, people didn't, but, you know, they, they considered this book some kind of divine word from on high that's, the, you know, the, the message to the secret of life. And yet people didn't really, you know, dig into it. I mean, when's the last time your average churchgoer has read anything from the book of, uh, you know, Obadiah or Malachi or something like that? I mean, it's, um, Christians don't read the Bible. I'm not criticizing, but I think it's just a sign that the book stinks. You yeah. know, <laughs> and they, they they would like to like it, but they can't. Well, that's that's especially ironic coming from from Lutherans because Martin Luther's big thing was allowing people to read the Bible in their own language, and for his own church to right, right. not bother. <laughs> All right, so then, after uh, as these, these doubts began rising up, did you? Uh, how did you make that transition from there into the uh, the the emerging church? Or was it related to that? Um, I'm not sure it was really related to that necessarily. I, you know, I think um, I um, I was looking for I was looking for a different way to express. I, I still felt there was maybe some way to express Christianity uh, that could be uh, you know credible, and I think that was an experiment. And uh, that's and it was really in the middle of that that things just really. Um, and it's just really a function of I have been doing more reading. Um, you know, read the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, uh, you know, Harris, Dennett, mm-hmm. Dawkins and Hitchens. And on top of that I started reading more and 
um, evolution, you know, E.O. Wilson's books, uh, you know, Consilience, Evolutionary Psychology, Steven Pinker, The Blank Slate. And I just started to see more and more that uh, science, um, especially cognitive neuroscience I mean, uh, and uh, evolutionary psychology, cultural anthropology, were providing compelling answers uh, that to kind of the big life questions that religion tried to answer but couldn't. And it just kind of all snowballed from there. Okay. Yeah, once you uh, start cracking that, that door open. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, evolution was part of that. You know, like when uh, you realize that, hey, you know, Homo sapiens has been around for 200,000 years and uh, Jesus uh, came 2,000 years ago. Uh, what took him so long to show up if what he was doing was so important for humanity? Mm-hmm. I mean, just, yeah, it starts to put things in per- perspective. And- well, and even just... What was he saving us from if we evolved? Yeah, I like what's that? Um, that you know, you've probably seen that uh, meme that's been floating around where Jesus knocks at the door. He says, "Knock, knock. Who's there? Jesus, let me in. Why should I let you in? To save you? To save me from what? To save you from what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. Circular <laughs> argument. And I started to realize that you know, Christian theology was an- answering questions that humanity really didn't have. That they were making up the problems to solve the problems. Yeah. 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 Did you ever get into any evangelism? Um, not in any, you know, never, um, you know, I was just a parish pastor, so. That, that's, that's a fun one when you start getting into that. I, I actually literally quit, uh, Christianity, dropped out of the seminary during the middle of preaching evangelistic series. And it was wow. amazingly clear while doing that, watching the, the process, because I, I had to preach canned sermons. Uh, yeah. the slides were all in Spanish and I had to keep up with the slides. And so, Looking through the the series, it was amazing to see how that first little bit you sell people on that there is a problem. Yep. Then you try to prove to them that you have or convince them that you have a reason to be trusted that you might have a solution. And then you sell them on the solution. Exactly. You know, and now that you mention it, Dustin, uh, because I'm still processing um, the evolution of my unbelief, um, uh, you know, and 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 I do think. Some of it goes way back. I mentioned, you know, having spent time in Japan, and although I was an English teacher, I was still affiliated with the church and had to lead students on religious retreats. And it was kind of a similar experience where, you know, 90-some percent of the student body was secular Buddhist, essentially agnostic. And, you know, having to explain, I remember once on a religious retreat in Japan trying to explain the Trinity, and I will never forget the puzzled faces, you know, at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then having to try to explain it in broken Japanese, it didn't work out so well. And, uh, you know, I, I realize now that probably planted some kind of subliminal seed that was, you know, running around in my brain for a long time and even that you know there again i I was looking at um you know living in japan where well here's a country that on many levels functions a lot better than the united states does i mean the place has almost no crime and people are polite and the society functions well and the trains run on time how is jesus going to make this any better yeah what make it so that people don't have sex as much that's not better (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's yeah yeah. (laughs) basically yeah yeah Oh man, yeah, it's it's amazing what travel can do for you. Oh yeah, just uh, getting out of that bubble because there's not just the bubble of of the church you're in; it's the bubble of 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 the culture we're in. Absolutely, you break Absolutely. either of those, and all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, that definitely starts some can start some cracks. I, I read somewhere the other day that um, 
uh, 80% of Americans will never have a passport, which astonished me. I mean, I, I didn't expect it to be a majority of Americans ever would, but 20, uh, only 20% of Americans will ever have a passport. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's, that's mind boggling, but yet at the same time, I guess it isn't. What percentage of people never leave their, their home state? Absolutely. It's it, huge. Yeah, yeah. Especially with, with some of the larger states. Yeah. Yeah. You're in Texas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if half of Texans never leave Texas. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I'd like to see the statistics on that, but I'm sure it's high. Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. All right. So what was the, what was this, uh, emerging church you were in like? Um, we were a, a startup and it was, um, you know, we were trying to be progressive and, um, in touch with the culture and, um, you know, uh, just even more liberal than I was before, basically. And, uh, and, you know, it was going okay, but I just, I, I just couldn't, um, you know, I did, like I just reached my breaking point with everything that I've been reading and learning and thinking about. So I just felt it was time to come clean. And, um, you know, people often ask me, why did you do it on national television? And, well, the opportunity came up. I didn't go out searching for it. Um, and when the opportunity came up, I thought, and MSNBC gave me the option of um, just staying, like, in the shadows, like, not being identified, you know, doing mm -hmm. it anonymously. And really, the night before, I uh, just felt like, well, this is crazy. I mean, number one, how often do you get to be on national television and have that kind of audience? And if I didn't put my face to it, um, I think it wouldn't have as much credibility. But on top of that, I am convinced there are millions of people that are going to church today that are pretty much where I was when I made when I came out like that. I think I, I, I think churches. Yeah, I don't have I, this is my gut reaction, I guess, my gut feeling. I don't have any data to back it up, but I'd be willing to bet that um, there are. Uh, more people than we imagine that are in the pews right now in church that really aren't buying the dogma. And they're there for other reasons, cultural yeah. reasons, you know, community, family, whatever. Um, because I was surprised at the number of people that came up to me after I came out. Um, people I know who have been, you know, former church members or pe people I know who have been going to church their entire lives who would say kind of quietly under their breath, yeah, I haven't been buying this for years either. Um, so I think there are lots of them out there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's it's easy to get get trapped or, yeah, or complacent. Yeah, or you go because your spouse goes, and you're trying to you know um, maintain harmony in the household and keep your spouse happy, or the you know your extended family goes, and you don't want to disappoint your parents. Um, you develop networks of friends at church. There's all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so. Yeah, you were you were part of the uh, the clergy project prior to this, right? Yeah, prior to that, yeah, yeah. Um, the way that happened was I was literally um, re I was reading uh, Dan Dennett's book, Breaking the Spell, and was in the middle of reading it that I realized, well, gosh, the spell has been broken, and so I put the book down. <laughs> I sent an email to him. Of course, he didn't know me from Adam. Uh, he responded within thirty minutes and told me about the clergy project and gave me a person to contact. And I took that as a sign, too, if you will, because I thought, well, heck, you know, I've been working for Jesus for 20 years, and he never got back to me once. And Dan Dennett got back to me in 30 minutes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh. So that's how I got connected to the clergy project. And, and I... um. Uh, yeah, and as you know, that's a you've probably talked about it on your show. It's a confidential online, uh, you know, support network. Um, and obviously now that I'm out and doing other things, I'm not, you know, active in it anymore, but from time to time, people still stay in touch with me from there. Nice. And did you find that helpful in, in the, 
that process of getting ready to for for I thought it was just it. you just know there are other people out there thinking the same way. The, yeah, that was huge. Yeah. And so, all right, you, you left DC and went back to to Houston, and mm-hmm. right, you've already talked about a few people coming up and talking to you. Overall, what was was the reaction like? Um, some people were surprised. Some people weren't. Um, I met with the church board, and you know, we pretty you know just uh, a few days after that, and uh, we realized, you know, we, we we agreed that we couldn't go on anymore. And, <laughs> that would have been uh, awkward. <laughs> yeah, and so, but the folks were very nice to me on the whole. I mean, yeah, obviously a lot of people were very emotional, very upset, but not they didn't voice anger. It was more uh, sadness uh, than anything. And uh, there were others, like I said, who were very supportive, who said they've been feeling the same way. And so what happened from there? Well, um, shortly after that, I started, uh, I was approached by um, uh, some former uh, parishioners from former congregations who said they've been feeling the same way. And they were wondering if they we could find a way to build a new kind of community that was... Um, retained some of the good aspects of church life in terms of, you know, community support, doing service projects, um, you know, developing a supportive social network for people, but that uh, would be completely free of any dogma and would approach life from a thoroughly secular perspective. So we started thinking about that together, um, and uh, we've started, and we formed a launch team that was, uh, some people were former church members, other people were, have been longtime atheists who were friends of mine, who were intrigued by the idea. And uh, we met over the course of the summer, uh, thinking of what that kind of community could look like, not knowing if there was a market for it at all. And uh, at the end of September in 2012, we launched our first weekly gathering of uh, Houston Oasis, uh, which uh, is, like I said, a thoroughly you know, secular, free thought community. We call ourselves a community grounded in reason, celebrating the human experience. And uh, the first day, there was maybe 20 people there. We, we had no idea. We didn't really advertise. It was just word of mouth thing. Uh, and we've been meeting ever since. And now we average over 100 every single week on an average Sunday. Wow. With, um, with more on, on large Sundays when special speakers come in and so forth. And we're growing each week and we get new faces each week. Wow. <laughs> That is amazing turnout. And now we have a sister community, Kansas City Oasis. Uh, they launched six months ago. On their first Sunday, they had 120 people. They're following the same model that we're following. They have an, they have an incredibly gifted uh, executive director, Helen Stringer. Uh, who You probably get her on the show sometime. She's an amazing uh, person. And uh, we have um, several more Oasis communities in the works around the nation right now. Wow. So w- walk me through what a, a typical Sunday meeting would be like. Yeah, Sunday, and we, we, you know, I, I take pains not to call it a service because we're trying to avoid religious nomenclature at all costs because we're not a church. We see it as a new kind of community. Um, we gather. It doesn't start on. It never starts on time. It's very relaxed, fluid setting. Um, people come. Yeah, you know, it's not. Uh, it, it's the atmosphere is entirely different than, like, say, the beginning of a church service. People are standing around. We have we have a soundtrack going, a great soundtrack of yeah, energetic, you know, contemporary music of some sort. We have um, uh, kind of a mix, and people are mixing and mingling and talking. And when we get kind of a critical mass, uh, we kick it. We always kick it off with live music. We have some of the best uh, um, musicians from the Texas music scene every single week. Um, our music director is an award-winning vocalist and recording artist. Uh, uh, she's won awards through the Texas Academy of Music. Uh, she's a local kind of music persona and celebrity. Mm. She's well-connected. So we always have incredible 
uh, musicians. Uh, so it's, it's been described as a hybrid between a house concert and a TED talk. And um, <laughs> people keep filtering in, and then um, we have the live music. After the live music, we have a feature every week called the Community Moment. It's something they're doing in Kansas City, also. Well, and let's, that's, let's go back to the, the music. Sure. So, is the live music leading people singing or performing? Oh, no singing. We do not okay. do any. So, we do no congregational singing. That would not fly with our group at all. Because <laughs> uh, I was kind of wondering, are you, are you no. trying to do atheist hymns or? <laughs> no, no, not a, no, not. At all. These these are um, uh, incredible local and Texas artists that are coming in doing their own music, and and, and it's really eclectic. I mean, we go from Americana roots, blues, uh, jazz. We've had a couple jazz vocalists come in um, this week. We had a guy who played that crazy instrument called the Chapman Stick, which is like a combination bass and guitar all at the same time, mm. and he did some incredible stuff. They'll do uh, everything. They'll do cover songs. They'll do their own work. Um, and for us, it's it's more music as a you know speaks just in a way that just spoken discourse doesn't, and it's a great way to. I mean, I, I think I've read some studies that show that hearing music before you have a talk helps focus the brain and make it more receptive to a message of some sort. Mm -hmm. So that's how we use the music there. And also our whole idea is to celebrate like the entire human experience. Music is a crucial part of the human experience. Um, we've also done stuff with the visual arts, although since we're in a rented space, we're kind of limited on that. And once we get our own spot, we intend to have a, a whole lot more on the visual arts too. Okay. All right. So then uh, after the music... You're, you're, uh, I interrupted yes, you. <laughs> music, we go into, uh, uh, something called the community moment, which is a, uh, a time for, um, someone from the community to get up and talk about it. Can, it can be almost anything. Um, uh, they, they do like a 10 minute talk. Sometimes it's, it's oftentimes it's like their own personal journey to free thought. Like this coming week, we have a young woman who's going to, her, the title of her talk is telling my mom. And she's going to talk about her experience of coming out as an atheist to her mother. Um, but it's not always that. Um, we, we have a variety of things. We, someone gave a community moment on Esperanto, actually, which was really fascinating. <laughs> so it can be almost anything. So if you have a great idea for a community moment, you know, just say, come get with me. We'll get you on the schedule. And then after that, we do some announcements. And then we go into um, kind of our mid-morning coffee break. And people get up and mill around and talk. And it's impossible to get them to sit down again. And then well, so we bring them back together with more an another Live, uh, another live song, and then we go into our main talk for the day. So, and contrary to the church model, I'm not up there talking every week. Um, I might do once or twice a month at the most, but what we're really trying to do is bring uh, a lot of voices to the table that represent the diversity of not only our community, but the entire Houston area. So this week we had the program director for um, KPFT, which is our local Pacifica station, a very progressive radio station. Hmm. Uh, and he came and his topic was uh, better news gathering and media diversity. So we try to hit topics uh, that touch on all aspects of life, you know, arts, sciences, humanities, uh, you name it. Um, so we're just trying to keep it interesting and just change it up week after week. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, um, Matt Dillahoney has spoken at Houston Oasis. Aaron Ra has spoken at Houston Oasis. Uh, Dan Barker from uh, FFRF has spoken for us. And uh, we have some really great people lined up in the coming months as well. Wow. That really sounds like 
all the the best parts of a like your typical mega church service without all the bullshit. That's what we're trying. Well, <laughs> we're trying to make it a compelling experience yeah. that that makes people's week better. You know, yeah. and then after that we go out for lunch. Um, usually about half the crowd goes out for lunch. So we'll have fifty or so people that go to a local restaurant and uh, we hang out and chit chat and all that. And then on top of that, we'll have like we have. Um, We'll have a midweek dinner, for example, from time to like uh, Wednesday night this week. We're going to meet at a karaoke bar for midweek dinner. Uh, we have um, we do a monthly service project. We've worked at the food pantry. We put on four blood drives now. Um, uh, so yeah, we've got all kinds of stuff in addition to the Sunday gathering. Awesome. That that actually sounds pretty nice. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> We're having a good time. It's been fun. That's that's the good part about it. It's been fun. Yeah, you know, and, and the numbers speak to that. Is this uh, your full-time job or? Um, yeah. Now, for the first um, year or so, for the first year and a half, they weren't able to compensate me. I didn't expect that because this is an entrepreneurial startup. But I was in a situation where I could, um, I was able to hang on and, and now I get a small stipend. It's not a living wage yet. But, you know, we, we envision, you know, and I'm not planning to get rich. I'm really finding, you know, try, trying to find a way to make a difference in the world with the talents and abilities that I have. And uh, community organizing is what I do. It's what I know mm-hmm. how to do. And if I can um, help put the community organizing skills um, uh, to use with uh, the secular community, uh, I, I feel really gratified by that. But you know, our ultimate goal is to you know continue to grow, get our own. We, we envision needing a full staff, you know, uh, in addition to an executive director, support staff. Uh, we have, you know, kids... Our, you know, our, our kids' room is bursting at the seams right now, and we, we clearly are going to need uh, some kind of um, staffing for developing secular curriculum for kiddos and youth programming. Uh, and our board sees us. I mean, this is their goal in the long run, is to build a lasting uh, secular institution. Okay. You just brought up something I was, I was curious about. And how, how did the, the kids' programs work? Well, you know, we're still figuring a lot of this stuff out, Dustin, and you know, I don't want to pretend like we're the be-all, end-all, and we have all the answers, because that is not the case whatsoever. We're, I mean, a lot of the stuff we're making up on the fly. But um, we do right now we have, um, just because of our space constraints, all the kids are in the same room. Now, we do try to divide up the room between the younger younger kids and older kids on one side or the other. And uh, there are, you know, there's adequate adult supervision, uh, and uh, they have some, they have some kind of an activity uh, you know, a lot of, it's either like an, an arts or science, but maybe like a little science project, might be a little arts project, uh, that they're going to do. But, uh, during, while well, the grownups are meeting in the other room, uh, but we now, you know, we, um, we have a whole bunch of kids in elementary school right now that within two years are going to be in junior high school and their parents do not want them going to the local evangelical youth group, which is mm-hmm. a huge uh, source of social pressure, especially here in Texas when all your friends are going to youth group. And we have increasingly uh, more and more parents who are coming to us saying, you know, no way in my hell is our kid ever going to go to a church youth group. We want something for our kids too. And so we see that coming. We're preparing uh, for a junior high program and eventually a high school program too. So that, our, and I mean, I, I think it'd be incredibly freeing for young people because um, you know how oppressive church youth groups can get, especially with uh, issues of sexual identity and so forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a, uh, a gay or bi uh, teenager kind of struggling with those identity issues uh, in our community, that's not going to be obviously an issue whatsoever. And I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think we want to develop a high school group where kids can really be who they are and be accepted for who they are and not just talk acceptance to really demonstrate that. And then um, our parents are looking for a place where kids can gather with other people who share their secular values. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> 
That's that's awesome. That's that's one thing that in a lot of areas trying to get anything for for kids and families going is is really difficult. Uh, you know, where I'm at in Boise, that's been one of our hardest things is trying to have anything that's really family friendly and. It ends up being those that don't have kids trying to put together some kind of a family event. Oh, yeah. Families and, never do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, we, have, uh, we, we do an event every uh, two Friday nights a month that we call Family Friendly Happy Hour. And it's always hosted on a rotating basis by some of our members. Uh, and it's, uh, it's one of our most popular events, and it's absolute chaos because you have um, a lot of adults there, but then you have a house full of kids are having a great time. But it's truly a family-friendly event. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, the adults are having, you know, some wine and cocktails, but nobody gets crazy or anything. And there's there's food and, and you know, snacks and games for the kids. And it just ends up being a wonderful event. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that actually, yeah, do you know how that, that all compares with the Sunday Assembly? Um, I'm not, I mean, um, I'm not super familiar with their model. I do know that they have tended to have a, a kind of a large once a month, um, uh, uh, kind of gathering or rally or whatever. And, uh, um, a couple of our members were in London recently, went to Sunday assembly in London and they said they had a great time. Uh, but I, I don't know what they do in terms of uh, youth programming or ongoing, uh, social stuff, uh, through the week. I, I just know that for us, we find that if we schedule, we just try to have a lot of uh, social activities, service activities scheduled because if not only do people come on Sunday, but then if they come for the first time on Sunday, a lot of times they want to start getting connected to people and, and making friends. So that's why we offer stuff in the middle of the week, too. You don't have to wait till the next Sunday to start making friends at Houston Oasis. There'll be some event this week that you can go to and start connecting with people. Yeah. Get to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. And so, and that's another thing, you know, maybe for your listeners, if there's somebody out there that feels like they would like something like this in their area, um, Helen Stringer in Kansas City and I and soon others, uh, we'll be, we are ready and prepared. We're putting together an Oasis startup kit. Uh, and if, if someone wants to explore this, they can get in touch with us. Uh, my email is mike at houstonoasis.org. And, uh, cause we want to support and, uh, you know, be of use to people that would like to try to launch this in their own areas. And I, I suspect that a uh, part of it has to do with, um, both Helen in Kansas City and us here in Houston, uh, that, and some of the other cities that will be popping up soon are pretty much in, you know, more or less the Bible Belt and areas where there is, um, uh, a lot, you know, rel- religiosity permeates the culture and, uh, is, you know, people's social circles are tied to that. And like we have a, um, one of our newer, uh, families at Houston Oasis moved down here recently from New England. And, you know, they said it was New England. It was no big deal not being religious because everybody was not religious. So it wasn't a big deal, but they got mm-hmm. down here and they were bombarded by coworkers and neighbors who were trying to invite them to this church or that church. And they kept the first question they asked was, what church are you going to? So now they said, we have an answer. And, uh, they, it's almost <laughs> like, <laughs> so, it, you know, this kind of model might be more important in parts of the country where religiosity is still predominant, you know? Yeah. Like your Houston's and Boise's yeah. and yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine it'd be kind of hard to sustain anything like that in a really small town. Um, I think we'll find out eventually, but it may not be. Yeah. We're, we're going to look at ways of adapting the model and try to make it as flexible and usable for people as possible. And I, I think there are ways it could be done creatively, even in a smaller town. Um, might almost be more important if people that feel, because right now we have some people that are living in smaller towns that drive a long way. We have at least two families that drive close to an hour to get to us and they come every single week. Um, and, uh, it, it would be tremendous for them to have something in their area. So it's, 
it's something you know we're looking at. I don't have a great answer for it yet, but it might be really important to find ways to support people out there who might feel even more isolated. And something a, a little more than just the standard get together and absolutely and chat. Yeah. 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 Because we're at the point now where real community is developing. People are, you know, we, we want to relate with people who share our values. So just say something as simple as babysitting. You know, um, uh, it, you know, if someone can find an oasis babysitter, they know that that babysitter is not going to try to say a bedtime prayer with their kids or, you know, do any stealth indoctrination or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, <laughs> uh, there's all kinds of examples where, uh, you know, human beings just want to support each other. You know, it's, uh, it's just a natural thing for people to do. Yeah. Hmm. This would be right about the point where Wesley would have something potentially snarky to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. All right. Moving back to to you a little more, more personally, uh, how's your, your family taking it, this, this um, whole transition? You know, it, it just kind of depends upon the person. Uh, number one, I, 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 to a person, everybody in my family is uh, great with unconditional love, and so... Yeah, nobody's cut me off. I'm still in touch with my kids, with my brothers, with my parents. And, um, uh, so I, I just, you know, feel like I'm lucky that way. Uh, because I know it has not been that way for many people. I've known, you know, I've known many people who have been to one degree or another ostracized by someone in their family. Uh, my family's been pretty good about it. And, uh, I'm just really grateful for that. Yeah. Um, but I know nice. that's not always the case. And, and actually we experience that at Oasis all the time. It's another reason to have a community like this because uh, for a lot of people, those family ties have become kind of more tenuous because of their free thought. Yeah, it's hard not to hear stories like that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. All righty. Do you have anything else that you were, uh, that you were wanting to cover? Um, I don't know. I pretty much uh, told you about the Oasis thing, unless you have other questions on that. We kind of covered what it's like. And, um, I mean, if you need me to bash religion more, I can do that. But I, I, mean, that's, I, I think you guys got that base covered pretty well. So. Yeah. That's okay. Well, that's, that's, the other, that's one of ahead. the things with it is, and that you run into with, with the, like, like what I found with, with some of the meetup groups is you've got the bashing religion phase where you've got that year to two years either right after you've left religion or you you finally get uh connected with with people like you where you've got all this pent-up rage that you just have to get out and then after that it's like okay now what right right well you know i think for a lot of uh, a lot of people at oasis um they're at that point like now what i mean we got that out of our system you know there's no going back and um uh you know it's but what what are we going to do now, uh, because we still have a desire to hang out with people. We don't want to be completely isolated. We like the community aspects of church life. So can we find a way to, um, promote, uh, you know, reason and, 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 and normalize free thought? So it's not seen as some kind of fringe movement, but hey, you're, you know, you're the family next door. They go to Oasis, you know, it's no big deal. They're, you know, they're secular, but, um, and one of the things we, we try to walk a fine line in our programming, uh, that we're totally fine with critiquing. Number one, we don't, a lot of people think they call us an atheist church and they imagine that we just sit around bashing religion, which most of the time is not true at all. Most of the time we're talking about the arts, science. I mean, there's more than enough, more than enough topics and fascinating things in life to explore together. The idea is to learn something new that you can apply to life or something that enriches life. But, uh, the idea isn't to sit around and just bash religion. Now, having said that, we will 
do critiques of religion when it's appropriate. Uh, but we're also very careful not to ridicule believers. We're trying to walk a fine line there because we feel like all of us know so many people who, like I said before, are probably in church right now and are maybe just on the edge. Like they, like they're, they're crypto atheists or they're crypto agnostics. And, uh, and if we were to become too brash and belittling of, uh, I mean, we also, we consider ourselves a humanist organization. So we value human beings. So it's okay to critique beliefs, but it's not okay to ridicule human beings. And we, we feel like if we try to maintain this kind of a, a positive stance. Um, it, it might make some more people open to, uh, to what we're doing in a yeah. way. Well, and when you're, you're addressing issues, if you focus on the problem, not the person. Right. You'll go after the belief, not the believer. Exactly. Yeah. Granted, there's definitely exceptions with, you know. Oh, with it, yeah. It's, there, there are caricatures out there who enjoy being caricatures. Yeah. That yeah. and the, the child molesting priests and oh, pastors. And, yeah. Yeah. Th- there's cases where the person is a big part of the problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, a positive approach. And, you know, like back to, to what I've, I've seen in Boise, that's, you know, there, there's the, the phase where. You bash religion and get the anger out, and then you find other things to talk about. And yeah, yeah. it's even in, a, in an informal meetup group, you've still got lots of conversations on science and just living life and yep. forming friendships. And heck, I've 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 been involved in conversations that that started off on, I think started off with cell phones and then went to Linux, <laughs> and before long it was on sex toys and then porn. <laughs> and by that time we were all debating whether or not we needed cabs. <laughs> <laughs> Other than Oasis, and I, I will definitely have the uh, the link in the show notes at atheistnomads.com. Um, is there anything else you want to plug? Oh, I should have thought more about that. Uh, right now, that's uh, the main thing. Both the uh, Houston Oasis, Kansas City Oasis, look for more coming. And um, we're just excited about helping anybody out there who would like to try something in their area. Get in touch with us, and we're we're trying to build the resources to make it possible for you. All righty. Well, Mike, thank you very much for joining us on Atheist Nomads. Hey, thank you, Dustin. Good to be here. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can always contact us at contactatheistnomads.com. Tweet us at Atheist Nomads. Leave us a message on Facebook. You can find our page at facebook.com slash atheistnomads. Leave us a voicemail message at 541-203-0666. And of course, you can always support the show via PayPal or Patreon. And the show notes for this episode will be available at atheistnomads.com slash 61. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of Atheist Nomads. You can find us online at www.atheistnomads.com. Contact us at contact at atheistnomads.com or leave us a voicemail message at 541-203-0666. You can also like us on Facebook or leave us a review on iTunes, Zoom, or wherever else you find the podcast. Until next time, this has been the Atheist Nomads.